Airwolf. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X-Files. Welcome to The Gen X-Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Star Star Wars Wars, Episode episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Not revenge, baby. No. Not revenge. Because a Jedi doesn't have revenge. Well, no, he doesn't. You could say that as uh, snarkly as you want, but part of the Jedi code. I realize. (laughs) Hate. Fear leads to hate. Wait. Fear leads to (laughs) anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads leads to the dark side. Sadness. Mm. And sadness leads to eating ice cream. Sadness leads to ice cream. (laughs) Ice cream leads to love handles. (laughs) Love handles. There you go. Lead to the dark side. Yeah. And then you're... <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was really good. That was really funny. Um, yeah, Return of the Jedi. Uh, I do, I, well, we'll talk about it later, but I do find it really funny that Lucas was so easily swayed to be calling it Revenge of the Jedi, even though he wanted to call it Return of the Jedi, and then it wasn't until very late into it that uh, he changed it. I mean, it's Return a stronger title. Revenge of the Jedi? Yeah, it sounds cooler. I, dis- I disagree. I think Return of the Jedi sounds better. Return of the Jedi makes it sound like coming back from vacation. <laughs> Jedi was out at... He was, he was in Hawaii, on Kauai, because it's yeah. the simpler island. Right. Doing some yoga and stuff, and now he's back. The Jedi has returned, and he's relaxed and ready to go. What was uh, They were at that uh, casino planet. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah. Kombatu or... Cisnero or... Cisnero, yeah. Like our friend Tracy Cisneros. <laughs> yeah, she's named after a planet. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I could have remembered it, but now I can't. Can, it's a can, Cantor. It's a C, Cantor. See, Cantobite. Cantobite. Ah, I was close. I knew I was close. That's my old man brain working. Do the Cenobites go to Cantobite? Oh, they do. They for... gamble there all the time. Really? And they work on their tans. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> glorious. Yeah. All right, well, take yourself back to 1983. Uh, March 9th, the 3D printer is invented by Chuck Hole. Nice. All of him. <laughs> okay. Is that W-H-O-L-E? Yes, Hole? W-H-O-L-E. Um, wow, yeah. I didn't know the 3D printer was made all the way back then. April 4th, the Space Shuttle Challenger is launched on its maiden voyage, STS-6. Nice. Yep. Uh, in May 6th, Stern Magazine publishes the Hitler Diaries, which are later found to be forgeries. Interesting. And you know, it, I, I just got to say, no murder, no death. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's not. Return of the Jedi was not really about murder and death. Well, I'm just saying is usually we have really bad things going on, and like but two of these things are awesome. They're related to the the actual thing we're talking about, like space shuttles. Yeah. Well, how does <laughs> just out of curiosity, is Hitler like the the Empire? Yeah, he's like the Palpatine. Nice. Yeah, yeah. May twenty fifth, Return of the Jedi premiere. Nice. That wasn't yeah. in Hitler's diary. That's right, baby. <laughs> forty years ago, almost to the day. Yeah, you, Jedi came out forty years ago. You were anticipating it was a week away, and you're like, Ugh. oh man, I was losing my shit. I was losing my mind. I can't imagine. I the the wait between. Uh, New Hope and Empire was bad enough, but the way Empire ends, and it's this big cliffhanger oh, yeah. of like, what? No, it was, you didn't know what to, the, the beauty of it was, you had Star Wars, which just blew your mind out of the water. Yeah. 100%. Didn't know it was coming, came by, changed your life. Boom, bang, boom, boom, boom. Bing, bang, boom. So then you 
find out, wow, there's going to be a sequel. Awesome. Okay, you're excited, but it's you're but it's not like, you know, you're you're like, "Oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be?" and you're really right. excited. And that comes out, and that blows your mind because it's bigger and and, <laughs> and, and, and better, amazing. Sure, sure. I mean, there's just more so much intense. more going on. Yeah. There's wampas and cloud cities and bespins. People declaring the people's fathers. Yeah, and people being daddies, daddies, <laughs> daddies, baby <laughs> daddies. Uh, but yes, we talked about it last week. Where I didn't think that the I thought we were going to get a proper ending, right? right. Or at least you know, and then when it ended, it was just so shocking. And yes, <laughs> the three years waiting for this. What's going to happen to Han Solo? What's going to you know? You're worried about he's your in, buddies. He's in carbonite. Yeah, Acho, Acho. Um, <laughs> that's Princess that? Leia in her little costume. Acho, oh, that's Acho, okay. Acho, I was like, what? Acho. Um. But yeah, so I remember I remember the day being in school. Oh. Pants in my pants. Oh yeah. I was at yeah. Gr- Grace Lutheran. I gotta 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 go. Grace Lutheran Middle School. <laughs> and uh my friends and I were gonna get picked up, go right to the theater, and here's what we did. We had a great plan. Back then I had really good eyes. Mm. Eagle eyes. Eagle baby. eyes, yeah. So what we would do ten vision. Uh, sure. Is that good? <laughs> yes. It's better than 2020. I had a thousand, a thousand visions. No, that's bad. Okay. Um, but what we would do is, because everybody's, you know, oh, let's get to the middle, let's get to the middle, everybody's fighting for our seats. We jam right to the back, yeah. the back middle, and then as soon as the lights go down, we pop up, Ooh, sitting oh. on the back of the seat, right. leaning against the wall. Head and shoulders against uh, above everybody, right. so you could see everything. Oh, no heads blocking us, baby. Because nice. there was no stadium seating back then. Right. right. If you were short, you were effed. Yeah, yeah. Especially way in the back. Yeah. So bad. sitting up there, and we were back enough that they couldn't see us sitting back there. Right. Right. You know, and nobody would come in and yell at you. No. And even if they did come in, they usually didn't like see us because we were in the back right. or whatever. So it was the perfect way to watch the movie. Probably not the most comfortable way, but when you're just a little kid, you don't care. No, you just want to see the movie. Oh, man. And it was just, from beginning to end, it was just again. Yes, yeah, yeah. The beauty of both of these situations is they didn't disappoint. Right, right. You didn't leave the theater like, damn it, I wish they would have done this, 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 and this. Right. You know, we weren't reviewing the movies we wanted to see back then. Yeah. We were happy. We got what we got. We were happy about it. Unfortunately, that was the very last time that ever happened. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. It was the last time we had any bliss over yeah. a trilogy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And again, I just wanted to go. I think we might have gone twice the first day. Oh, really? Might have gone right after. Just gone gone again? Yeah, because it was did just. You, did you like jump in or however they call it? Like, did you not get a ticket for the second one? Like we had out? to. No, you oh, couldn't. Okay. You couldn't do that for that. They were very strict about yeah. that. You couldn't theater hop, as it were. Yeah, that actually got more strict too. Because when I saw episode one, uh, they were playing the movie every twenty minutes, and I bought a ticket for like a ten forty in the morning. And then my friend didn't show up on time, so I tried to transfer it to the eleven, and they refused to exchange the ticket. Goodness, as per George Lucas's instructions, according to the box office person. Well. It was my idea. I was so mad I almost left. And then my buddy Damien, bless his heart, bought me a ticket. And then I sat through the whole movie just hating it. I know. Well, that was my decision. Well, I mean, I hated it because I was mad. But I I didn't even give the movie a chance. <laughs> I was just like, this is dumb. I get it. Yeah. You get put in a bad mood. But it was, mood. yeah, yeah. But yeah, sorry. I was like, 
let's put in a really strict no refunds policy, George. No. Yeah. He's like, come on. But what if their friends don't come up and they want to see the movie? I'm like, George, we're not here to make. It's not friends business. It's show business. <laughs> show business. It's the money business. Yeah, I guess you're right. He always, <laughs> yeah. I had, to, I had to really rein him in. <laughs> oh, he's just so generous. He is. Actually, he is. He is actually. He's very, very generous, generous man. So given the success, obviously, of The Empire Strikes Back, after following the insane success of Star Wars, another chapter of the Skywalker saga was a foregone conclusion. Bow, bow, bow. Yeah. As with the previous film, Lucas personally financed Return of the Jedi. They're the three most uh, successful independent films ever made. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's crazy to think that they ended up, I think they only spent like $30 million on this. Which, I mean, I understand the time is a lot. But, like, man, it, it oh, yeah. made some money. It's crazy. You know, they're spending one, two, three hundred million dollars on movies these days, which yeah, is the insanity. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has a $250 million budget. Now, is that... Production budget, not even including not even marketing. Not including marketing. Marketing, it probably is about a half bill. What? I don't get it, because, like, most stuff is just digital. <laughs> it's expensive to do that stuff now. I guess. It's, it's, it was a lot cheaper, apparently, just to build the whole world it was. than it is to create it in a, in a CGI situation that doesn't even look as good. Well, I mean, this is how... What, I don't remember how much Lord of the Rings, how much he spent on the three movies together, but I think it was about the same as, like, one and a half of the prequel trilogies. Like it was, it, but, but because they shot it all together, right? Like it, I mean, they shot for like three years, sure. But like it, it, and they build mostly practical. But it was, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, yeah. Most of it is is digital. It's all CGI. It's all paying Vin Diesel five million dollars to say one word that a voiceover actor yeah. should probably get. Same thing with Rocket Raccoon. Probably. They should give it to a voice actor instead of. Given these idiots that already have careers. <laughs> oh, I like Rocket Raccoon. Look, they're fine. But there are really great voice actors out there that need work. That should have careers. And yeah. it doesn't matter. A, the Vin Diesel thing is the stupidest thing it is, ever. It is. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter at all. Oh, oh, there's so much emotion behind his groots. No, there's not. There's not. <laughs> no, there's not. Sorry. There's, there's no emotion behind anything Vin Diesel no, does. What are you talking about? He doesn't have emotions. That's literally uh, why he was cast. I am Groot. No, no. I am Groot. We are Groot. Yeah, well. Mm, Groot are we? <laughs> I, I'm excited to see Volume 3. I am too. I, I am too. I'm I, to see I, it. I don't I, mean to be a jerk. It's just, it's just crazy to me how much money. And look, a lot of it is salaries and stuff. and Yeah. You know, which is out of control. But... Yeah, I, I, it's just Return of the Jedi is a remarkably looking film. Remarkable yeah. looking film. Yeah, for thirty million dollars. Yeah, it did. It, yeah, and forty it years great. old. And forty years old. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we were watching it. We watched. Full disclosure: we watched all the special editions. This yeah, because we, we watched were, it on Disney yeah, Plus. Yeah, instead of my many different uh, Blu-rays, and Blu-rays, DVDs, and, DVDs and laser, laser discs. discs, and <laughs> videotapes, and reel to reels, and. 16 millimeters and yeah, 33 RPM records. The LP of the uh, <laughs> audio production. So we're watching it on Disney+, and it looks amazing. But I will say this. Out of yeah. all the special editions, this one, it, it's a little egregious. Like, I, it, I get the first two because it totally it improves the movie. fleshes the world out yes. so much more. It, 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 it uh, smooths over some special effects. Mm-hmm. There, it's seamless. 
Mos Eisley seems so much more populous. Yes. Like it's there's yeah. there's great things they did with yes. The, and now that yeah. the, the the technology's gotten better, they blended it together, so it doesn't yeah. seem out of place. It all seems really great, but. There was a couple of changes uh, in Jedi. Both of them very musical. Yes. <laughs> yes. I miss Yub Nub. Yeah. Yeah. Yub it's nub. such a good song. Yub uh, it's so sad that it's not there. And uh, and that weird, that weird song by Max Rebo and the Modal Tones. It just comes out of nowhere. It was it was too much of. He must have been working on episode one at the time because it was way too much of that in that scene. <laughs> it's like, good lord. Um, yeah, it was a little much. We didn't need that much. No, but the rest of it's fine, and it's it, was, all great. it was great. And look, honestly, I don't mind it. No. I don't mind the weird alien singing. I think it's fun. It's part of the goofball part of Star Wars that people I embrace it. Sure, I like the goofball sure. part because it's fun for kids and stuff and people forget I you know we talked uh, quickly you know we talked about toxic fandom. Yeah. And these movies aren't for adults. Right. I mean they are because we you, still love them as adults. You can enjoy them as an adult, but it's he didn't make these movies as dark brooding. No. You know. No. I mean look everybody thought that Empire was too dark. And it's like, come on, man. That's Jedi how... wasn't dark. It was, it was. It... Jedi wasn't dark at no, all. No, no. I mean, it, it, you know, you had a lot of emotional moments between Luke and his dad and like. Luke and Leia. And Luke and Leia. And like, and this Leia stuff. But it was, but it was all important. Right. You know, it was, it was important for the characters. It was important for the story. You know, it, and it wasn't egregiously dark. No, it, it wasn't. Was a, it was so much fun. And the one thing about this. The, if watching, being able to watch all three movies pretty close together as yeah. we did, yeah. it's really fun to watch the evolution of the friendships. Right. You know, you see. Yeah, yeah. You, when when Han wakes up, you know, and Chewie's like, <laughs> he's a Jedi. No, I'm out for a weekend. And everybody gets delusions of grandeur. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it looks like, yeah, I was born on here, you know. Oh, you're gonna die in here, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was just fun. They just have such a fun, playful, yeah, yeah, family vibe to them that is is so much more present in this movie than the other movies, and that they earned it in this movie. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely did, and I and a lot of that's because of of the stuff they went through in Empire, and and because I think Jedi is set maybe like a year after Empire. Sure, um, Empire supposed to be like two or three years after. Uh, a New Hope, I believe. Okay. Something like that, uh, around that. But it's like, it's nice to see them, them, they're so comfortable with each other. Like, they're so, the chemistry's so good between the three leads. Yeah. You know, and the three human leads, and obviously the Wookiee, but... Uh, and the droids. <laughs> and the droids, yeah. But it's like, they're so comfortable together, and it's so fun. Like, it it seems very much like they all really enjoy being around each other. Yeah. Not just forcing it, you know, like they really... Forcing? <laughs> uh, and also, they got to be... They didn't separate Luke for most of the film. I mean, you know, he, he was taken to Vader or whatever, but... Yeah, well, he... Yeah, he chose to go yes. confront Vader. Yeah. Yes. But they, and that's the other thing, too, is they understood that. They were like, well, like, you shouldn't, but you got to do what you got to do. But what I'm saying is we had the awesome opening oh my God. rescue of, of Han. The opening se- sequence, which is like 40 minutes long, is so much longer than I thought. Yeah. It's so good. It's great. And then it goes straight into that where Luke goes to say bye-bye to Yoda. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. tired of you asking me questions. 
I'm going to die. Hey, he, I give Yoda credit. He talked way more than Luke did. Luke asked two questions, and Yoda went on and on and on and on and on. There's another. Scott. What? And I love the fact that immediately he's like, oh, it must be Leia. He <laughs> <laughs> just disappears. And I like how they disappear. They become Force ghosts. Yeah. It's they really... become one with the Force. Well, it's also extremely uh, considerate because you don't have to bury a body. It is. That's true. Let's clean up. But you know whose body didn't? Well, we don't know. No, he did. I'm pretty sure he only burned the suit. Only his husk? Yeah, because it was symbolic. He was right. burning the suit because it was saying goodbye to Vader and bringing back Anakin. So Lucas chose not to direct Return of the Jedi himself again uh, and started searching for a director. He was pretty much heading towards gear at this point. Yeah, he was definitely producing, becoming more of a producing, becoming more of a business leader than necessarily a creative. Although he still had his hands in of this. Of course he did. Very but he, deeply. But he was also very uh, interested in... Improving cinema. Yes. You know, yes. digital cinema. Which we will get to, yes. And yes. THX and all sorts of Which things. Which we will get yeah. to, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Lucas's first choice was Steven Spielberg, as they were close friends, and Spielberg just outright killed it with Raiders of the Lost Ark. He would have been great. It would have been fantastic. Uh, the problem was the Director's Guild of America. Lucas had dropped out of the DGA due to a conflict in Empire, where the DGA insisted that Lucas include credits at the beginning of the film, and Lucas refused, so he just said goodbye and dropped out. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. He's just like, screw you and your rules. Yeah. I can do what I want. Like, whatever. It makes sense, because these movies have to start and keep going. Right. There's no you room for You literally credits. have yeah. to go. From that beginning, dun, dun, you have, it just goes. Yeah, and, that's and, it. That's, it, and people don't realize that that really wasn't done before that. Yeah, yeah, mostly yeah. all until I think like the seventies or eighties, all the credits were in front of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and the only thing at the end was the end. Yeah, but also a lot of that too was also because uh, movies back in the day, uh, in, until the mid sixties, they would just run continuously, right? And you would just buy a ticket and go sit down whenever, and then you'd watch, and you knew that when the credits came up, oh, it's the beginning, and then you would watch to where you saw the story, and then you'd be like, oh, I got the full story now, and then you'd go home. And then say the end, and you'd be like, okay, now I know it's over. Right. Exactly. And I can go home. And I can go home. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg had run into some trouble with the DGA while producing Poltergeist, which was directed by Toby Hooper, with Spielberg shooting some second unit footage. Apparently, a journalist came on set during production and wrote a piece implying that Spielberg was, quote unquote, ghost directing Poltergeist, no pun intended, and the DGA investigated. Hooper most definitely directed Poltergeist, but his reputation was tarnished with insane stories that he couldn't direct, so Spielberg had to step in. That's ridiculous. Yeah, which is ridiculous, because it's Toby Hooper. He can obviously direct it. He directed before. He had directed, he directed a lot directed before. <laughs> yeah. And also, when people say no pun intended, they definitely meant to intend a pun. Um, I actually did not there. All right. It was written as an afterthought. All right. Was it ghost written? <laughs> it was ghost written as an afterthought <laughs> by a ghost, yeah. Uh, regardless, their separate feuds with the Directors Guild led to Spielberg being banned from directing the film. The two most populous directors... At the time, yeah, both not DGA members. I'm pretty sure they just use no Spielberg is a DGA member. He he, I think they use that as an excuse of that he was being investigated for Poltergeist is why they wouldn't let him direct the movie. But it was really because Lucas was like, I don't need you guys. I'm out. They just wanted to punish Lucas. Those are petty jerks. Yeah, I considering they're supposed to be a union based around helping directors fulfill their dreams. Right. They're failing miserably. Yeah, it's you know it's like being in SAG and. 
it really limits you to what you can do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, but they do protect you. They do. I mean, there is benefits, obviously, yes. Uh, I'm a union man. Yeah. Through and through. Yes. Uh, Lucas approached David Lynch, who had recently been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director for The Elephant Man in 1980, to helm Return of the Jedi. But Lynch declined, saying that he had... Next door to zero interest. It's so weird. Funny, because eventually, like a year later, he would do Dune. Yeah, would he? Um, (laughs) Maybe it's a good thing. (laughs) It's so weird to me that David Lynch was once a pretty mainstream director. And same with Cronenberg. Uh, I mean, mean, he was. He tried to. But, like, they were still weird, and they did weird movies. Well, they were kind of the first of these kind of wackadoo directors that Hollywood didn't really know what to do with, but wanted to tame them and make them mainstream. And he showed he could make a pretty mainstream movie with The Elephant Man. I mean, The Elephant Man is... It's a beautiful film. Yeah, it's done very well. Uh, I mean, look, I love David Lynch. I think he's an amazing filmmaker. Yes. But he's a weirdo. (laughs) And it would have been kind of fun and weird to see him do Return of the Jedi. But after seeing what he did with Dune, I'm really glad he didn't do Return of the Jedi. David Lynch still, to this day... And he has been doing it for like 20 years, does the weather update on KCRW every day. I know. <laughs> David Lynch writes in and does the weather update from Santa Monica every day. It would have been a very different film if David Lynch had directed it. Yeah. Uh, and David Kernberg actually had a chance to direct, but declined the offer to make video Jerome in the dead zone. There's not enough uh, opportunities for goo. <laughs> I was so hoping you were going to say slime or goo. That was so his movies are the gooiest movies ever made. Uh, I need more goo. Except for The Dead Zone. I don't think there's a lot of goo in The Dead Zone. No. Uh, but The Dead Zone does have the most horrifying scene I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, the grossest suicide. It's so disgusting. Suicide uh, by skizzers. <laughs> Lamont Johnson, director of Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, was also considered. Of course he was. Uh, you've seen Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone? I don't know. I d- I'm, I'm sure I have. I watched <laughs> everything probably. back then. Uh, it seems like it was a Star Wars knockoff, and they were asking him to do it, because he had some cred. Lucas eventually chose Richard Marquand. Marquand was Welsh and started his career as a documentarian for the BBC. He released his debut feature in 1978 called The Legacy. Not the. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, in 1979, Marquand directed the documentary-style biopic Birth of the Beatles, which was released in cinemas everywhere except for the U.S., where it aired on ABC. ABC. In 1981, he directed Eye of the Needle, based on the Ken Follett novel of the same name, starring Donald Sutherland and Kate Nelligan. I saw that. Yeah? Lucas mm-hmm. said about hiring Marquand. He had done some great suspense films and was really good with actors. Eye of the Needle was the film I'd seen that he had done that impressed me the most. It was really nicely done and had a lot of energy and suspense. Just like Lucas himself. Yeah. A ball of energy and suspense. <laughs> so much. So much. After Return of the Jedi, Mark Wand would direct Until September in 1984, starring Karen Allen and Thierry Lermite, mm. and Jagged Edge in 1985, starring Glenn Close, Jeff Bridges, Peter Coyote, and Robert Loja. Robert Loja. For which Loja was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. Nominated Robert Loja. He did He did not win. I didn't win. <laughs> I was Robert Loja. <laughs> 
1986, Marquand shot the film Hearts of Fire, starring Bob Dylan, but as Marquand was driving his kids back home from his Welsh summer house, he suffered a stroke, which was brought on by an embolism. Good lord. He managed to get his kids home, collapsed, and died in the hospital shortly after at the age of 49. Yikes. Hearts of Fire was his last film being released posthumously. Oh, bummer. So sad. He is a great director, and it was sad that he was taken from us so early. Yeah, Jagged Edge is a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, Until September's fine. It's just kind of a romance yeah, situation. Yeah. Um, I just want, I, I, I know some, he was hit and miss, but like, I, I want to see more of what he had. Like, I think that he could have had a much longer, much better career. Yeah, of course. He's I mean, only 49. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they cut you off at 50 in Hollywood. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, that's just women, Adam. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Lucas directed some of the second unit work personally as the shooting threatened to go over schedule. Lucas had done this on previous occasions when he had only officially been producing a film, such as with More American Graffiti and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Lucas did operate the B camera on the set a few times. Lucas himself had, had admitted to being on the set frequently because of Marquand's relative inexperience with special effects. Lucas praised Marquand as a very nice person who worked well with actors. Marquand did note that Lucas kept a conspicuous presence on set, joking, It is rather like trying to direct King Lear with Shakespeare in the next room. <laughs> I like that your Welsh is just literally Scottish. Yeah. It's Scottish. That's what it sounded like. That's why his poor kids couldn't understand. I'm having a bibliism. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? A bibliism. Okay. <laughs> I like I like that you think his kids, who are also Welsh, somehow don't understand his accent. <laughs> they were brought up. They weren't brought up there. They were brought up in brought up America. In America. Yeah. So they didn't understand his dad half the time. But he's right. It would be I, difficult to I direct. I could not imagine trying to direct the third chapter of the largest franchise in history <laughs> with the guy being behind me like, go ahead. You're good. No, you're more good. like he's back behind you. Uh, you sure you want to do it that way? Sh- I don't. You sure you want to do that? I feel like Lucas would let it go and then give you 20 pages of notes afterwards. You sure that's the right way? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Again, Lucas sat down and wrote the story, then handed the script writing duties over to Lawrence Kasdan. By this point, with the success of Raiders and Empire, Kasdan had turned to directing his own work and was uninterested in writing more Star Wars movies. Ooh, too good for Star Wars now, Kasdan. Yeah, yeah, you know what one of the great movies he did was? Grand Canyon. (laughs) Your favorite movie of all time. God, you know, I'm a real fan of Kasdan. I love... He's great. He's a great uh, writer. He's a good director. Silverado is awesome. I love that movie. It's got That was Lawrence Kasdan? Yeah. Did he he write and direct it? Uh, I, I know he directed it. Oh, well, I mean, he probably had some kind of writing. He produced and directed it. Oh, okay. He didn't... uh, Oh, no, he wrote it with his brother. Oh, because it wasn't. It was based on a novel or something. I think so. Anyway, I don't know enough about Silverado. Uh, great movie. I love that movie so much. Kasdan wanted to direct Body Heat, a script he wrote, but the new Fox head Sherry Lansing wasn't sure about his ability to direct and wanted him to be "quote unquote" sponsored by an established director. Lucas helped guide him through the process as an uncredited producer on Body Heat, and because of this, Kasdan realized he owed Lucas a favor, so he reluctantly accepted the writing job of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, you know what? Reluctantly, you know, f you, Kasdan. You got your directing career. I, but I get it. I mean, now he wants to I, do his own stuff whatever. now. Now I blame Lucas for Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, shortly after jumping on board, Kasdan told Lucas that Return of the Jedi was a weak title. It's a weak title. It's not a weak title. <laughs> it's such 
Oh, weak title. This is a weak conversation. Exactly. <laughs> After producer Howard Kanzangian parroted this sentiment, Lucas changed the title to Revenge of the Jedi. Fine. Revenge of the Jedi. How's that? You happy? The screen. Uh, yeah. I love it. You give you give Lucas way more emotion than he actually has. <laughs> the screenplay itself was not finished until rather late in pre-production, well after a production schedule and budget had been created. Oh, it's usually a sign of trouble. Yeah. Instead, the production team relied on Lucas's story and rough draft in order to commence work with the art department. When it came time to formally write a shooting script, Lucas Kasdan, Marquand, and Ken. Kazanjian, wow, I spelled that wrong. Kanzangian spent two weeks in conference discussing ideas. Nice. Kasdan used tape transcripts of these meetings to then construct the script. <laughs> I'd like to hear those. Yeah. Yeah. Dave- <laughs> <laughs> David Peoples did some uncredited revisions on the script as well. Uh, Peoples wrote Blade Runner in 1982, Unforgiven in 1992, and 12 Monkeys in 1995. Damn. That's yeah. a trifecta of David, awesome. David Peoples, he did way more, too. That's just what I included. Assume, at, at some point, obviously, when we cover Blade Runner, we'll talk more about David Peoples. But he was like a professional rewriter, like on so many scripts. Oh, yeah. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Well, Unforgiven is an. Almost Brilliant. perfect script. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were contracted to return for a sequel. Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Kenny Baker, David Prowse, and Alec Guinness all agreed to return. The issue was with Harrison Ford. Yeah, it was a mousy issue. He hadn't signed on for another movie, and Raiders of the Lost Ark made him an even bigger star. Pretty big now. Howard Kazanjian, who also produced Raiders of the Lost Ark, convinced Ford to return. I played a very important part in bringing Harrison Ford for Return of the Jedi. Harrison, unlike Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, signed only a two-picture contract. That is why he was frozen in carbonite in The Empire Strikes Back. When I suggested to George we should bring him back, I distinctly remember him saying that Harrison would never return. I said, what if I convinced him to return? George simply replied that he would then write him into Jedi. I had just recently negotiated his deal for Raiders of the Lost Ark with Phil Gersh of the Gersh Agency. I called Phil, who said he would speak with Harrison. When I called back again, Phil was on vacation. David, his son, took the call, and we negotiated Harrison's deal. When Phil returned to the office several weeks later, he called me back and said, I had taken advantage of his son in the negotiations. I had not. But agents are agents. I love that it, Phil Gersh makes it sound like his son David was like 14 or something. <laughs> yeah. He was like 35. Oh, no. uh, he, he was he works for the Gersh agency. Like it's not like he he he'd done this not before. You oh, know what I mean? And, but it ruined Harrison Ford's career. It did. Oh my god, it did. I never saw him after this. Uh, so Ford suggested that Han Solo be killed in the movie through self-sacrifice. He just wanted him to die so many times. So badly. <laughs> Kasdan concurred, saying that it should happen near the beginning of the third act to instill doubt as to whether the others would survive, but Lucas was vehemently against it and rejected the concept. Yes. And, okay, you may say it's because of action figures and and merchandising and whatever, but... You can't kill off one of the mains in this movie. This is a kid's movie. This was These are heroes that are family it's, and meant yeah, to, yeah. you know. It would be like killing off uh, Jonathan Frakes right. in one of the Star Trek movies, you know. Yeah, you just yeah. can't do it. It just, it, it, the movies are not that, those types of movies. No. At and, the end of the day. And 
what, when we saw him sacrifice himself ultimately in episode seven, it was yeah. pointless. Yeah, well, that was the whole movie was pointless. But that's <laughs> another <laughs> another podcast. Gary Kurtz, who produced Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, but was re- replaced as producer for Return of the Jedi by Howard Kazangian, said in 2010 that the ongoing success with Star Wars merchandise and toys led George Lucas to reject the idea of killing off Han Solo in the middle part of the film during a raid on an Imperial base. Well, and it's also it. it most of us would have just been like, okay, yeah, I don't care about the rest of the movie. Well, uh, well, I don't know if kids, most of us would have. Kids would have. I mean, it would have been. It would have. It would have definitely put a cloud over the rest of the movie. It would have ruined it for me. Yeah. Well, ruined it for you. Well, that's. Yeah. I'm the most important Star Wars fan there is. Sure. George Lucas himself told me that. Okay. Luke Skywalker was also to have walked off alone and exhausted like the hero in a spaghetti western, but according to Kurtz, Lucas opted for a happier ending to encourage higher merchandise sales. <laughs> so Yubnub was straight from Lucas, uh, apparently. Uh, Yubnub. <laughs> what, George? Yubnub. Yeah. Are you having a stroke, George? No, no. It's a. It's going to be a number one single. <laughs> Yubnub. Harrison Ford himself has agreed with the sentiment, saying that Lucas... Didn't want to see any future. Uh, didn't see any future in dead hand toys. I mean, he makes sense. Yes. Yeah. This is also a business. Yeah. You know. I, I'm i sure it literally was probably just Harrison Ford going, oh, what if we just kill him off? Sure. And they're like, what? And then, of course, because it's Harrison Ford, they're like, oh, well, we got to take this seriously now. It makes, I mean, I get it, but it wasn't necessary for them no. to win. No. His, no, it wasn't. You know. Th- the whole point of the thing was bringing balance to the force. Right. And how would his death bring balance no, to the it, force? No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. Yoda was originally not meant to appear in the film, but Marquand strongly felt that returning to Dagobah was essential to resolve the dilemma raised by the previous film. Mm, important it was. The inclusion led Lucas to insert a scene in which Yoda confirms that Darth Vader is Luke's father, because after a discussion with a children's psychologist, he did not want younger movie- moviegoers to dismiss Vader's claim as a lie. Mm, yes. Your father, he is. Not a very good father. Deadbeat he is. <laughs> Much child support he owes. Mm. I, I mean, not to side with Vader on this, but he technically didn't know that, that the kids existed until Luke showed up. Nobody told me. He thought that his, his, he, he thought that she was killed. Every Father's Day, I waited for a call. He thought he killed their mother while she was pregnant. My bad. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I thought she died of sadness, Adam. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Sorry. Many ideas from the original script were left out or changed. For instance, the Ewoks were going to be Wookiees and the Millennium Falcon would be used in the arrival of the forest moon of Endor. (laughs) Following the defeat of the Emperor, the film was originally intended to end with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda returning to life from their spectral existence in the Force, along with Anakin Skywalker, thanks to Yoda being able to prevent him from becoming one with the Force. Mmm, I brought us back, I did. Yes, you did. I'm very hungry. Why would Yoda prevent him from becoming one with the Force? Mm, like, that seems... That's so fast! <laughs> that seems really ridiculous. Mm, ruin the entire point of the movie, I will. <laughs> <laughs> they would then join the rest of the characters in the celebration on Endor, all singing Yub-Nub. Yub-Nub! <laughs> Yub-Nub. 
<laughs> Warwick Davis made his feature film debut and appears as Wicket W. Warwick, an Ewok who befriends Princess Leia and leads her and her friends to the Ewok tribe. Can so you... good. Oh, he's great. I love the Ewoks were so good. Uh Especially because I was super young when this came out. So, like, they were my favorite. Of course. That's the thing. A lot of people do not like the Ewoks because they're like, they're just little teddy bears. But that's the point, man. The point is these little cherubs, you know, that seem like little teddy bears are badass warriors that defeat the Empire. Yeah. It's 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 showing uh, that with determination and heroism – you can use primitive tools and weapons to beat the empire because they're, they're, uh, what do you call it? They're, uh, hubris. Yes. Because of their hubris, they're like, yeah, yeah, little teddy bears can't do nothing to us. It's an example of how hubristic the empire was and that they could just do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. Yeah. These teddy bears. (laughs) There's no, no fuss. Uh, Kenny Baker had originally auditioned for the role as Wicket, but was replaced by Davis after falling ill with food poisoning on the morning of the shoot. Interesting. I wonder if Warwick Davis maybe put a little bit of mm, eye drops in his coffee. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he did. Uh, Davis had no previous freebie. Ah. Davis had no previous film acting experience, and was cast only after his grandmother discovered an open call for dwarfs for the new Star Wars film. Hey, look here. Hey, you get yourself to work here, boy. Get yourself to work. Now go down there. They're hiring mm, little people. Yes, Miwoks. Now you earn your keep, little man. That was his grandma. She was mean. <laughs> wow, I guess. She had a bizarre accent, too. She did. <laughs> Michael Pennington portrays Moff Jer Jared, the commander of the second Death Star. Uh, Alan Rickman actually auditioned for this role, but lost out to Michael Pennington. I did. And I lost. Yeah. Which is too bad, but also good, because I don't think he would have then been in Die Hard. He would have been like, ow, ow, are you one of them? You're one of the, oh, you're Darth Vader. And then Han would be like, no, I'm not. I'm the rebels here. Take a blaster. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sure. And then, no, because he's putting all the uh, explosives up, just like Die Hard. Right, right. Oh, it would have been perfect. Uh, Michael Carter plays Jabba the Hutt's aide, Bib Fortuna, who is voiced by Eric Bowersfeld. Uh, Eric Bowersfeld also voiced the role of Admiral Akbar, who was puppeteered by Tim Rose. That's a drop. Yeah, that, that was uh, Eric Bowersfeld. Yeah. Uh, Rose also puppeteered Salacious B. Crumb, Jabba the Hutt's Kowakian monkey lizard. <laughs> I was so glad that they made a comeback on The Mandalorian. Yeah. And that they literally were just a bunch of them hanging in a tree. A bunch of monkeys. It was great. They weren't all named like Salacious Crumb. Salacious B. Crumb. Thank yeah. you. B is for. Mm, Boddington. <laughs> yeah. Job the Hut was puppeteered by three people altogether. Uh, yeah. It was I that was one of the very first behind the scenes things I ever saw for films oh, yeah. was about how they puppeteered Job of the Hut. I remember it being like air they aired it after on the USA network, they aired the movie and then they aired like an hour long like special about how the movie was made. Right. And and it was crazy that they were like like there was a small person like in his tail and then there was two guys like one guy controlling the arms and one guy in the, the mouth and the head. Oh, three hours four hours in, baby. It was oh, it yeah. would stink. It was it was apparently so hot and it just awful. Would stink. If you were the tail guy, you're getting all the farts and the stinks. Oh, <laughs> baby. That is gross. 
Uh, filming began on January 11th, 1982, and lasted through May 20th, 1982, a schedule six weeks shorter than The Empire Strikes Back. Well, they kind of had their S together now. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, but also didn't really learn from their mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, Kazanjian's schedule pushed shooting as early as possible in order to give Industrial Light and Magic as much time as possible to work on effects, and left some crew members worried about their ability to be fully prepared for the shoot. Working on a budget of $32.5 million, Lucas was determined to avoid going over budget, as it happened with The Empire Strikes Back. And Star Wars. Yeah, both. Kazanjian estimated that using ILM, owned wholly by Lucasfilm for special effects, saved the production approximately $18 million. Good lord. However, the fact that Lucasfilm was a non-union company made acquiring shooting locations more difficult and more expensive, even though Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back had been big hits. Yeah. The project was given the working title Blue Harvest with a tagline of Horror Beyond Imagination. This disguised what the production crew was really filming from fans and the press and also prevented price gouging by service providers. Yeah. Uh, you're a Star Wars, huh? That was an aspect that I never thought about. Yeah. Is that people were going to be like, oh, well, it actually is $500 an hour sure. rather than 50 You know, They I mean, think they got that Star Wars yeah. money. The first stage of production started with 78 days at Elstree Studios in England, where the film occupied all nine stages. Wow. The shoot commenced with a scene later deleted from the finished film where the heroes get caught in a sandstorm as they leave Tatooine. This was the only major sequence cut from the film during editing. Wow, I wonder why. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I, I think in this case, they learned from their past mistakes is that they actually didn't have to cut things down. The script was better. Right. No, I just didn't wonder why they cut oh, that. Oh, why they cut that scene? I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it pretty much, it seemed like it'd be overkill. I mean, once the barge... It was a, away, a natural ready to ending. Move on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. While attempting to film Luke Skywalker's battle with the Rancor Beast, Lucas insisted on trying to create the scene in the same style as Toho's Godzilla films by using a stunt performer wearing a suit. Okay. The production team made several attempts, but were unable to, unable to create an adequate result. Lucas eventually relented and decided to film the Rancor as a high-speed puppet. In April, the crew moved to the Yuma Desert in Arizona for two weeks of Tatooine exteriors. Production then moved to the Redwood Forest of Northern California near Crescent City, where two weeks were spent shooting the indoor forest exteriors and then concluded at ILM in San Rafael, California, for about 10 days of blue screen shots. They kept it all pretty close to home. Yeah. You know, doing it in the forest. Th that was just basically a dude with a Steadicam running around for two yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. That must have been fun. One of two skeletal post-production units shooting background matte plates spent a day in Death Valley. The other was a special Steadicam unit shooting forest backgrounds from June 15th to June 17th for the speeder chase near the middle of the film. Steadicam inventor Garrett Brown personally operated these shots as he walked through a disguised path inside the forest shooting at less than one frame per second. It looks so cool. By walking at about five miles per hour and projecting the footage at 24 frames per second, the motion scene in the film appeared as if it were moving around 120 miles an hour. And it is absolutely brilliant. Darth Vader's small funeral was filmed at Skywalker Ranch. I only want a small funeral. <laughs> Nothing big. Not well, the whole galaxy or anything. Just some family and friends. Make sure you cremate me. Make sure, Although make he sure to knock on the helmet first. <laughs> make sure I'm actually dead. He would be gone, though. He became one of the Force. He's not even there anymore. Maybe give me a little bell. And if you hear it ringing, put out the fire. Uh, so Harrison Ford altered some scenes during the shoot, causing Billy D. Williams to forget some of his lines, which was a source of frustration for Marquand, the director. Yeah. I can imagine he would be mad. Come on, Harrison. <laughs> Why? Making me forget all about you, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change these lines. 
Marquand and Anthony Daniels also clashed somewhat, leading to the latter recording his ADR with Lucas instead. I'll only do it with George, uh, not with Marquand. I, I want to say, the one thing I think I've learned from these three episodes of, of doing Star Wars is that apparently Anthony Daniels is kind of a dick. Well, okay. Let's give Anthony Daniels also has to be in a pinchy metal suit in either thousand degree weather or zero degree weather. I mean, the guy, I would say probably, probably had the most uncomfortable costume, except for maybe Kenny Baker having to be in a <laughs> trash can for, you know. He actually was a foot taller before the, the Star Wars started filming, and then they shrunk him down. Ah, poor Kenny. Stick him inside R2-D2. Now, well, I'm smaller I, now. <laughs> it's not. I, the thing is, is that Anthony Daniels had, there would be a, there's probably a thousand people that would have loved to do C-3PO. Sure. And he was in more, playing that character in more Star Wars properties than any other actor. Yes. He did all this voiceover. He's been in all these video games. He's done all this stuff. His entire career was because of Star Wars. It is actually just one role. And it seemed like he was a little too close to C-3PO. Maybe. Kind of a douchebag. Well, I think we've proven that I could take over. You could. You, you do Anthony Daniels very well. You do C-3PO very well. Sorry, not Anthony Human cyborg relations. <laughs> Was good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> While Lucasfilm was testing the film in a commercial theater, Lucas and his employees could not hear many of the sound effects they had mixed. For instance, during one of the classic Princess Leia scenes, her theme was nowhere to be heard. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Do you guys not hear it? I don't hear it. Do you not? I don't hear the theme. <laughs> that is literally a recording of George Lucas from that. Yep, don't hear it, George. <laughs> You're absolutely right. No, no. The timeless soundtrack and sound effects that made Star Wars so memorable were not there. To make matters worse, the background noise in the theater became so bad that it muffled the majority of the sound from the film when it was played through the theater's commercial sound system. I don't. I, what background noise are they referring to? The people watching the movie? Yes. They're saying Why that, is anybody saying anything during the movie? Well, maybe they're munching and chomping and oh, rustling and slurping. Popcorn, popcorn does get Sipping really their cokes, loud. eating their weenies. Sniffing their cokes. Yeah, baby. It was, it was, well, yeah, it was the 80s. <laughs> it was 83. Oh, all of this cocaine usage. You can't hear the theme. <laughs> can't hear it. It's all I can hear. This is really great. I can't hear a thing. <laughs> so many theaters at the time had poor room acoustics with mono surround sound. Which is awful and hard to think of. That that it, I can't imagine how bad the sound was back and then. Honestly, mono surround sound is an oxymoron, is it not? Because it's yeah, it's only mono sound. It's one channel, so you can't surround uh, yeah. one channel. I mean, unless it's it's the cat <laughs> said cat agrees. <laughs> cat agrees. <laughs> unless it's it's one track that goes through all. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you know, just all of them. So I mean, technically, it's surrounding you, but it's like it's all the same. Not. But it's not even stereo. It's just mono. I don't know. It was awful. It's like when I was in Costa Rica, I went to see Cliffhanger yeah. in the theater. Yeah. Theater with quotes. <laughs> and, uh, and they had literally two stereo speakers, like a crappy yeah. 80s, uh, you know, like rack stereo. Right, right. On either side. With, you could see the speaker wire, you know. Well, of course. Going to the thing. Because they didn't care, because it was duh. You know, it was yeah, had subtitles. Yeah. They didn't right, care about right, the sound. Right. So it was just like, it was the worst <laughs> I have ever. The theater was fine, but the sound was just like. Uh, 
I would argue it's the best Sylvester Stallone's ever heard. Oh, it was his best acting ever. <laughs> Lucas would solve the problem by assuring that the theaters that played his movies would project all of the intended sound he heard during the mix. Therefore, he decided to create a new company called THX. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it was the first time I ever heard that. I. It was like, how is this happening? All of us. It all was of it. so weird. It was so... It just changed. Look, as... A, a burgeoning cinephile mm-hmm. uh, and going through all of these changes of cinema, like we grew right. up through the evolution of movies. Yeah. We went through mono sound and ripped up yeah. screens and clickety clackety projectors to this smooth digital, you know, immersive experience that we have today. I mean, honestly, his, and we have Lucas to, to thank right. For the, his for that. his invention, invention, his creation of THX was, from what I can recall, the first major uh, progression forward with audio since they literally started making talkies. Definitely, like fifty-five yes. years prior. Just like every independent film production I've ever worked on, they take sound for granted oh, back uh, then. And everybody did. It was sad, yeah. And it didn't really matter because you had maybe three tracks. You had a dialogue yeah. track and a music track and a sound effects track yeah. for most movies. Yeah. But this, you want, he wanted, you know, things yeah. coming from side to side right. in, yeah. in, in, in an immersive experience. And I believe the theater that Return of the Jedi signed was mm-hmm. retrofitted for THX. Oh, really? By the time that it came out. Right, right. And it was night. I mean, it oh, was yeah, just like, yeah, it is. your butt's just... Well, that, it's like the hearing something behind you to your right. You're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. what was... <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember very many, first time hearing Surround uh, and getting used to it, and especially when it was in people's houses. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd always think that there was some... It was like, was that intentional? <laughs> like, is that a noise that was part of the soundtrack? Or is that the house settling over there? I've always been a technophile. Like, I, And yeah. I think I inherited that from my Biological father. Yeah. He was also a gadget All guy. about that, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I've always been an early adopter. And I remember in college going to this stereo store and seeing one of the first surround receivers. Oh, yeah. And just being like. It was like eight feet tall. <laughs> no, no. It was little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, whatever yeah, speakers. Yeah. But it was like I had to have that. Right. Because it right. had, you know, oh, you could listen to. To it like it's in a, a church, or you right? Could, it had all right. those different, you know, the little just, settings. Yeah, which is basically just you know, tremolo and, and vibrato. <laughs> but uh, but it was just it changed everything, and sound to me has always been just as important as the visuals in yeah. terms of oh, watching yeah. a movie. And and uh, you know, in here we've got like the quote unquote. You know, Atmos. Yeah, but it's yeah, you know, yeah. it's a soundbar Atmos, so it's right. Like, it's not true Atmos, it's but more it's still at yeah. mostly is what I kind of <laughs> call. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's always it's just funny to think about watching the original Star Wars in a mono theater. That's crazy. I, you know? I can't imagine. Yeah, like it would be awful. I not well, we didn't awful, know any better, but like it would just yeah. be hard to hear things and like yeah, sure. Although now I do think that it's gone the extreme the other way. Where they've overmixed stuff, and it's getting to the point where it's getting harder to hear dialogue and things. Yeah, of, well, that's that has a lot yeah. to do with the, um, not only the mix, but the way that they compress the sound for streaming. Yeah, yeah. and that screws up the mix, and then you yeah. don't get. It, here's a pro tip for you: 
if uh, you do have a surround system or a sound bar and you're having trouble hearing the dialogue, yeah. boost up your center speaker more. Yeah, yeah. Give yeah, that yeah. a few extra pops over the other ones, and Always, then that yeah. should uh, help alleviate some of that. Right, right. Uh, so meanwhile, special effects at... Uh, Meanwhile, special effects work at ILM quickly stretched the company to its operational limits. While the R&D work and experience gained from the previous two films in the trilogy allowed for increased efficiency, this was offset by the desire to have the closing film raise the bar set by each of these films. Incredible. The shot of the space battle when like a thousand... Oh my god. Uh, ...tie fighters come at you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's overwhelming, man. It's just... Well, and the, the, like all the Star Destroyers, it's like just a, a wall of Star Destroyers. Yeah. It's like, what? It's, yeah, yeah. And flying into the Death Star. And yeah, yeah. It just had, it was bigger, better, more. <laughs> it was, I liked how it was, hey, the first one only had space for one photon torpedo to go down. We should make that, that bigger so that way the entire Millennium Falcon can fly. Well, it was under construction. It was fully operational, Jim. The weapons were... Fully yeah, operational. In this funny. fully operational Death Star. And technically, technically, Rogue One and now Andor is answering the fact because one of the guys specifically designed it to be able to be destroyed. Yeah. yeah. No, they totally retconned that brilliantly. <laughs> they did. Thanks, they Mads did. Mickelson. Yeah. <laughs> I put it in there for my daughter to. <laughs> It was great. A compounding factor was the intention of several departments of ILM to either take on other film work or decrease staff during slow cycles. Instead, as soon as production began, the entire company found it necessary to remain running 20 hours a day on six-day weeks in order to meet their goals by April 1st, 1983. Yeah, it's insanity. Insanity. There had never been that many special effects yeah, shots in yeah. a movie. And this isn't CGI. This is... Sets, these are matte paintings, hand-drawn yeah, matte paintings, yeah. which there was a one of the great uh, parts of the Star Wars exhibit, the museum exhibit that they did for a while, mm -hmm. was some of these matte paintings, which oh, they're are amazing. works of art. These are hand-painted. They are so insanely detailed. The, it is in incredibly impressive. The shots of a thousand stormtroopers yeah. in the Death Star, that's a matte painting. I know. I know. That's not photorealistic. I mean, it's just yeah. crazy what people did back then. So they needed man hours because there were actual things they were creating. Right. Not to discount CGI. That's also an art form. And, of course. And, and of a course. lot of creation. So of about 900 special effects shots, all VistaVision optical effects remained in-house since ILM was the only company capable of using the format, while about 404 perf opticals were subcontracted to outside effects houses. Progress on the opticals were severely delayed for a time when ILM rejected about 100,000 feet of film when the film perforations failed image registration and steadiness tests. Oh. That is an insane amount of film that they just go, yeah, no, we got to do this again. Oh, oh, man, I would not want to be there that day. <laughs> Bad news. Bad news. Uh, guess what, guys? <laughs> we got perforated. <laughs> yeah. Badness, badness. Uh, so John Williams scored the film again. Uh, we have not talked about John Williams at all in the amazing score for all three movies. Yeah, whatever. What has he done? <laughs> Who's this guy? He's only been nominated like a billion times for Oscars and everything else. Yeah, so good. All the scores so good. Uh, Thomas Newman also contrib contributed some orchestration to the score. 
uh, for Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he did. <laughs> that actually was him in a suit yeah. <laughs> singing. Yeah. <laughs> Squirt Scrubo in the Jubes. What is the name uh, of that? Max Rebo in the Modal Tones. But it was just Max Rebo before, right? But well, no, because I think it was always Max Rebo in the Modal Tones, but it was just him and the two other guys. Right. They added it was a trio. The, a jazz the weird, trio. like, long mouthed singing woman. Yeah. Her or name whatever. is uh, her name is L- Layla Lips. <laughs> I'm actually that's probably true. And, uh, and her friend Monkey Mo. <laughs> God. <laughs> the original teaser trailer for the film carried the name Revenge of the Jedi. In December 1982, Lucas decided that revenge was not appropriate as a true Jedi should never seek revenge and return to his original title. You know what the trailer sounded like? <laughs> what did it sound like? Come. See, a Jedi out for revenge. See, an Emperor out for control. Come, this summer, only in theaters, Revenge of the Jedi in color. (laughs) Yes, in color. Uh, by that time, thousands of Revenge teaser posters with artwork by Drew Su- Struzan had been printed and distributed. Those were rad. They were red. Yeah. They looked badass. Yeah, oh, they were, I wish they I were awesome. Uh, Lucasfilm stopped the shipping of the posters and sold the remaining stock of 6,800 posters to Star Wars fan club members for $9.50. I wonder if I had one. I must have had one. I was a I, Star, Cl- Star Wars fan club member. I, it all depends on if you got in on time. I'm sure there were a lot more than 6,800 people in the Star Wars fan Maybe. club. <laughs> but I was his number one fan. It was the best fan. You should have, when you worked for him, you should have told him, why didn't you give me one of those posters? Oh, I did. So why do you think I got fired? <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Jedi's theatrical release took place on May 25th, 1983. Yeah, baby, 40 years ago. 40 years, yeah. Next week. Yeah, 40 years next week. It was originally slated to be May 27th, but was subsequently changed to coincide with the date of the 1977 release of the original Star Wars film. You know, Lucas likes synergy. Like, Lucas yeah. loves things to come full circle. Yes, he does. As he said, it's like poetry. And they rhyme. <laughs> um but, yeah, he loves that kind of stuff, so it totally makes sense. With a massive worldwide marketing campaign, illustrator Tim Reamer created the image for the movie poster and other advertising. Strange that they thought that they needed to advertise this one, and they didn't really think that they needed to do Technically, Empire, Empire did not make as much money as the first movie. Really? So maybe they were like, mm, or maybe Lucas was just like, I got to make sure I make that $30 million back. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's just like, yeah. like, that was not going to be a given, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, at the time of its release, the film was advertised on posters and merchandise as simply Star Wars Return of the Jedi, despite its on-screen Episode Six distinction. Return of the Jedi grossed $314.3 million in the United States and Canada and $166 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $480 million against a production budget of about $32.5 million. All right, so it did okay. Yeah, it, it made some money back. <laughs> it did fine. <laughs> the film made $23 million from 1,002 theaters in its opening weekend and grossed a record $45.3 million in its opening week. Oh, yeah, baby. I must. Have, I saw it at least twice. Yeah. Uh, it definitely made its money back and is a change also from the way they did Empire, which they opened it with like 166 theaters. This time they were like, yeah, no, we're going to do the 1,000. Well, they knew <laughs> they fine. were going to get the lineups. Yeah. Because it was course. the end. We were all just champing at the bit, man. Everybody was so ready for this movie and... We just couldn't wait. 
The whole world was just collectively holding its breath, waiting to see yeah. what happened to Han Solo. Yeah, well, and Luke Skywalker. Mostly Han Solo. Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Luke. Oh, uh, your father. <laughs> it finished first at the box office for six of its first seven weeks of release, only coming in second once behind Superman 3 in its fourth weekend. Yikes. Yeah. Then everybody quickly realized that <laughs> Superman 3 was a boner. And we're going to go see Return of the Jedi again. Yeah. Well, 3 wasn't as bad as Quest for Peace, Superman 4. With the, the weird Adonis sun god. Wasn't that the fourth one? I don't know. I think both I think, of them yes, had it Richard was. Pryor. I though. think it was because it was uh, where he threw the nukes into the sun. And yes. I think that's what created the sun god. Yeah. Sadly, that's probably of all the Superman movies the one I've seen the most. Hey, it came soups. out around the time when I was like eight. That was Richard Pryor. Hey, yes. soups. Oh, that, oh, that was Richard Pryor? In the Superman movies, it was. Right. Called him soups. The movie received positive reviews, Return the Jedi, not Superman no, yes. 4, uh, from critics and got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. Film critic Roger Ebert gave the film four out of four stars, calling it a complete entertainment, a feast for the eyes and a delight for the fancy. It's a little amazing how Lucas and his associates kept topping themselves. Gene Siskel, the Tr- Chicago Tribune, gave the film four stars as well out of four and wrote... From the moment the familiar Star Wars introductory words begin to crawl up the screen, Return of the Jedi is a childlike delight. It's the best video game around, and for the professional moviegoer, it is particularly enjoyable to watch every facet of filmmaking at its best. Uh, they both liked it, uh, surprisingly enough. <laughs> they, you know, I give them a lot of S, because rightfully so, but they did honestly like movies, love they movies. Did. and. Did. This is, you know, when a movie would evoke their childhood love of movies, oh, yeah. they were pretty yeah. fun. With oh, it, yeah. You know, yeah. there was a reason why they were very popular. And know, everybody watched at the movies. <laughs> at the 56th Academy Awards in 1984, Richard Edlund, Dennis Murin, Ken Ralston, and Phil Tippett received the Special Achievement Award for visual effects. Yeah, they, they had to. They, they had to create so, something yeah. because yeah. it was unbelievable what they did. Yeah. Norman Reynolds, Fred Hole. James L. Shop and Michael Ford were nominated for Best Art Direction Set Decoration, losing to Fanny and Alexander. Yeah, whatever. What <laughs> the F ever. It's Fanny and Alexander. Look, Fanny and Alexander was a beautiful film. Sure. I've never seen it. I, it's great, yeah. but it's not. <laughs> the art direction Return of the not, Jedi created the Jedi. new things. You I know, know, doing know. a period piece is impressive, but creating all new everything yeah. is a little more impressive. Well, this is still at a time when there were a lot of older people in the Academy, and they were not all about these newfangled sci-fi movies. I don't get this, these Star Wars movies. They, they confuse and scare me. Didn't we already see Star Wars six years ago? And they are, yeah, Star Wars. Just keep making more of these. I don't know. Yeah. Something about teddy bears. <laughs> ben Burt received a nomination for Best Sound Effects Editing, losing to The Right Stuff, which was the only other film nominated. Uh, come on. Come on. I mean, I get it. Right Stuff was good. But again. It was a juggernaut. Again. Yeah. You know, cre- recreating sounds that already exist in hey, life look. is different than creating... I. I always look forward to my yearly viewing on the USA Network of The Right Stuff. Well, the double feature of The Right Stuff and Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> Don't forget. John Williams received the nomination for Best Music Original Score, losing to The Right Stuff as well. Oh. 
And uh, Ben Burt, uh, Gary, yeah, Ben Burt, Gary Summers, Ron, Randy Tom, and Tony Daw received a nomination for Best Sound, again, losing to The Right Stuff. The novelization was released 13 days before the film was released, so you could get spoiled to your heart's content. Yeah, they didn't care back then. I know. Nobody I gave know. a crap about spoiler alerts. I know. I know. We had a lot more. We had a bunch of other things to worry about <laughs> than what was happening in the How movies. How you were going to fill yeah. your car up with gas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of us didn't give a crap. Movies were just there to kind of be an escape from the, yeah, yeah. the hell that we were living through. There was a radio drama ab- adaptation in 1996 broadcast on NPR. Anthony Daniels is the only actor to reprise the role. Yes, I did. And I bitched the entire time. Uh, yeah, yeah. He would only work with Lucas on it. <laughs> from time to time. John Lithgow played Yoda, and Ed Asner did Jabba the Hutt, speaking only in grunts. Hey, look here, Head Solo, I'm Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, I'm going to keep you as a decoration. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore! <laughs> I don't understand, because there's some lines from Jabba the Hutt that are important, so if it's in a radio presentation, it just was grunts. I think they translated it, or, or I think they did that. Anyway, you can actually find all of these on well, They probably YouTube. had Anthony Daniels translate. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they rewrote it in a way. He yeah. said he wants to eat your heart, Han Solo. He wants to eat Bantha poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I did not say that. <laughs> You're misrepresenting me. Uh, of course, there was the prequel trilogy released from 1999 to 2005. Yeah. Uh, Lucas actually kept asking Lawrence Kasdan to come back and help him write the prequels, but Kasdan kept refusing, encouraging Lucas to make the movies, quote-unquote, his way. Yeah, I think he was just like, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, no, no, no. George, George, you should do the movies your way. <laughs> do you really think I should do... The movie's my way. I think you should do them your way. I really think that if Lawrence Kasdan had helped write the first three, the episode one, two, and three, that I probably would have liked them more. Maybe, yes. Look, Lawrence Kasdan is a great asset to the Star Wars universe, 100%. Well, and that's the irony, is that he ended up coming back and writing, I believe he wrote part of Rogue One, and then he wrote episode seven. So, like, he eventually came back anyway. Well, he came back and effed it up with seven. No, well, yeah. Oh, what did he just, he just, like, he, was, he uh, just had a secret hey, copy of the episode g- four script. And yeah, was give, like, me, give me the script for episode four. There was a, I just got to change some names. Yeah, he just he just did it over the draft. So sometimes there was, like, Han Solo. Oh, I oh, mean, oh. Uh, well, that's supposed to be Poe Dameron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to call him Han Jr. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so then there was also the sequel trilogy, which was released from 2015 to 2019, which Lucas had no part in as he sold Lucasfilm to Disney in 2012. Yes. Yeah. And it shows what happens when you don't have a cohesive vision. you got to have a captain steering the boat, man. Yeah. And you have to have a plan for your trilogy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You need, they needed to sit down and have a, a plan before they ever still started filming anything in episode they seven. They did not... Handle it as a trilogy. They handled it as a film with sequels, and yes. by giving it to different directors and having and different writers, bad, bad, and bad. letting them do what they want, because something by committee doesn't ever have a decisive voice, and you need a decisive voice. And that was the problem with this trilogy. Yeah, is the overall trilogy didn't have a decisive voice. Each right. film did, I suppose. Yes, yes. Well, except for the last one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, and the first one was pretty much just a 
fan. I this is why hatred. episode eight was my favorite of the three of them. Same, I same. It had a lot I, of interesting things in it, and I would rather have seen Ryan Johnson shepherding the entire three movies, uh, whether he directed them or not. But right. like it obvious, it was obvious that he understood the story. But I also but, think what they all didn't understand was that these movies are for kids. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't start there. And love it or hate it, love him or hate him, love or hate the films, Lucas always started at this is for kids. Yeah. It's for everybody, but it's for kids to have heroes. It needs to be accessible for kids. Yes, it's it's a a great mythos, a great hero story. There's a reason why parents can't wait to share this original trilogy with their kids. Like it's this it's almost like a like a ceremony or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, you Lizzo, when she uh talked about being on The Mandalorian and being right. part of the Star Wars universe and how her father almost reverently showed her the original trilogy right. and how they bonded over it and how he would be so unbelievably proud of her yeah. for being in it and how just moving it was for her. That's what it's all about, yeah. man. It's like these generations of people who love these movies. Right. right. It all starts from here. Yeah. That's the, it's the same with uh, Katie Sackhoff when she brought her dad on set yep. and was like to The Mandalorian or whatever it was she was filming at the time. And he was giddy. He was like he was 12 again. There's and three generations. Yeah. Of four, maybe, of generations of people four, yeah. Yeah. that have been able to enjoy a trilogy in their childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And... Hopefully that won't stop. Let's move past the Skywalker saga. I think that they story's have, been well, told. They are, technically. I guess we're moving into the Palpatine saga. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but I, look, I they've love, announced I thought, this stuff before, and it's not happened. It's true. So, look, I, I, I like Daisy Ridley. I, thought, I think she's a great actor. I think uh, I would like to see a more interesting portrayal a more interesting story for yeah for that's that's for Ray. me the big thing is yeah. that all the 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 pieces were there but the story didn't justify they didn't do service could, to yeah, the character yeah, yeah. They, it was a cop out at the end yeah and somehow palpatine came back oh, it's so <laughs> stupid and i'm sorry but that's just ridiculous it's not the palpatine saga it, it turned into it saga. it turned it into it and it, that's mean, what's so dumb and and the thing that really that just annoyed me to know that, that disappointed me to no end was there was that little flipperoo, that little switcheroo double do where uh, Kylo Ren becomes a good guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was so fun and charming in that like eight seconds I know, that he was I that. Know. It's like, oh, they completely missed an opportunity. Yes. Yes. Because that's unfortunately the problem is they didn't have a great definitive hero. Right. Right. Uh, you know, Ray, yes, but but they wasted John Boyega, they wasted Poe Dameron. It's yeah. like I don't even remember. I just remember Poe Dameron is a whiny guy who yeah. kept yeah. getting in Carrie Fisher's face, <laughs> and then got his comeuppance. Right, right. You know, and 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 had a cool jacket that he gave to uh, John, John Boyega. Yeah, you know. So it's like they didn't have and 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 Kylo Ren could have been that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, agree. a combination of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Right. right. And we could have had him as the journey, and I think Daisy Ridley would have been amazing as the villain. Yeah. And we yeah. need a strong female Star Wars villain. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A strong Sith, you know. They yeah. had him, a lot of them in the animated stuff. They have yeah. some great strong female uh, antagonists in the in the 
animated stuff, but they really need to get going on that in the movies. Well, that's uh, that's all courtesy of Dave Filoni. He uh, uh, he's he's actually this is the nice thing is that we do have the Disney Plus shows which take place shortly after Return of the Jedi ends, like The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, and the upcoming Ahsoka. Yeah. Uh, between him, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, they've kind of taken over the Lucas role of like, hey, we know what we want to do with this. Which is great. Because go, with, go with, take the ride with us. Look, yeah. Kathleen Kennedy is an amazing producer. Yeah. She has produced the most successful films in Hollywood's history. But she's not the perfect Star Wars producer. I, I don't think she sees it the way that Filoni and Favreau sees it. Right, right. See it, which are as fans. Yeah. As they yeah. see it as wanting to create... And tell stories within this universe, expand this universe, because this is stuff that they want to see. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly. necessarily because they want to make, you know, toys and games. Right, and right, right. Bed sheets and vitamins and cereals and soups. Yeah. Ooh, Star Wars soup. <laughs> I love my Darth Vader soup. Um, but Now with matzo balls. But, you know, so I, I have a lot of hope. I, look, anything Star Wars is... It, is fun. I even watched some of that baby show that they had on there, like oh, the Young Baby Jedi. Jedi's or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I watched the first episode of that. And it was cute. Um, but Return of the Jedi was a very satisfying ending to yeah. an incredible journey. Yeah. At nine year, an almost decade long journey. Yeah. From like childhood to teenagehood. From <laughs> you know, it's like my entire childhood was Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have it. Yeah. But it's it's crazy to think back at how important it became you know it, to everybody and in, in in a way that you know people weren't going to uh gone with the wind conventions and cosplay <laughs> i mean some people were i guess that's what uh, uh civil war reenactments are but uh <laughs> yes they're specifically doing gone with the wind cosplay <laughs> yeah. right, i don't give a damn but you know they are with star wars and so this created an entirely new entertainment uh, concept, if yeah, you will. Yeah, kind of an, an outlet, an entertainment outlet. But yeah. an all-encompassing one, because in today's day and age, you could go see a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. then go to Galaxy's Edge, walk around in the Star Wars yeah. universe, yeah. go to your Star Wars hotel, yeah. stay in yeah. your Star Wars hotel, and then get on the cruise, the Star Wars cruise, right, and right. have an immersive cruise while you watch all the TV shows in your stateroom. I mean, you can live yeah, yeah. in Star Wars now. It's true. You know, true. play your video games. It's There's Star Wars VR now. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. And there was never anything like that before. No. That no, just no, no. became everything. I mean, if you have an interest, you can find a Star Wars product. I remember during the pandemic, I was thinking about getting a new decanter and glasses, yeah, yeah. and I almost bought this Darth Vader helmet. <laughs> nice, it was the coolest nice. decanter. I mean, <laughs> anything you could think of. Yeah, yeah. It's out there. Yeah. You know, there's these great kitchen floor runners right, that if you right. look closely, it's an imperial right, run. Right, you nice, know? Nice. And, and it, the, it, it's just crazy that, that somebody created something that I just it, – it, it blows my mind. I mean, now everything's like that. You know, you got yeah, the Marvel yeah. Universe, you got the Star Trek Universe. We have universes, we have theme parks. You know, you got the Nintendo right. theme park, you got Harry Potter, whatever. But this started it all. Of course. Yeah. This is yeah. it. And it is the most, it's, it's a culturally impactful and important event. Agreed. Agreed. 
damn it. It was it was what the world needed. It didn't realize it needed it, but it did. And and it's been great. It's been great. The world and my life, it's a better place and a better life because of Star Wars in it. Yeah, yeah. And for somebody who had a lot of dark days as a little kid, Star Wars and the movies, the books, my figures, my guys, my Star Wars guys. Yeah, yeah. Saved my life. Yeah. Literally saved my life. And there's a lot of people out there like that. And no matter who you are or what you believe, there's going to be somebody out there that believes like you do that is a Star Wars fan that you could get together and have a community with. Yeah. And that's yeah, it's very true. As toxic as the fandom can be, there's also no other welcoming, beautiful, and amazing fandom than the Star Wars fandom. Yeah, it's really great. It's really great. May the force be with you, MFs. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to have our stepdad show. We'll talk more about Star Wars and, and fun stuff and the fun things we've been doing. I am your father, Adam. No, I am your father. What? <laughs> no. No. The 3D printer is invented by Chuck Hole. Hole or Hull? Hull. Hull? Hull. H-U-L-L, hole. Hole. Yeah, what did I say? Hole. No, I didn't. I said hole. You're saying it right now. You're saying hole. hole. That's how you say it. You say hull. Hull. <laughs> For instance, during one of the classics... Classic? Why can't I say that word? Classics. Classic. Well, thanks for the bloops, though. <laughs> it's me, Adam Bloop Machine Newbauer. Adam Bloops. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Taxi, already in progress.